1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our Fearless Finance advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this? With evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines you're spending more than the average family of five or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit FearlessFinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit, and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code Pantsuit. That's FearlessFinance.com, and use code Pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting.
3: When we ask our listeners to share good news with us, we couldn't have imagined hearing from a listener who just finished making good news happen— Today, we share an interview with Erin Miller, who just won a big victory on behalf of her grandmother and women everywhere. Happy Independence Day, Pantsy Politics listeners. It's just Beth here for a special holiday episode. Sarah and I are at Podcast Movement this week in Chicago, so we're recording this a little bit early, and we have two interviews to share with you this week. Today, we're talking with Aaron Miller. On Friday, we're going to share our interview with Fred Davis about political advertising. I cannot wait for you to hear both of these. While we're at Podcast Movement, we're going to be speaking at an event called PMX, which is like a series of TED Talks about podcasting. So if you happen to be in the Chicago area, we're talking on Wednesday at 1.30 at the Hyatt, right on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. 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 That event is free and open to the public, so we'd love to see you there. We're also going to host a little listener meetup on Thursday evening at about 6 o'clock. If you are in the Chicago area or can be in the Chicago area, we know a few people have talked about driving in, we would love to see you. Just hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or by email and we'll share the details with you. For the pearls this week, I want to acknowledge the tragic events that have taken place in Bangladesh and Iraq over the weekend. ISIS has claimed responsibility for the deaths of over 200 people in those two countries, and I thought that I would just briefly share with you an essay that I posted on our blog about these events. We started podcasting in November 2015. That month brought bombings in Beirut and the Paris attacks. In December, we had the San Bernardino shooting. In March, Brussels, June, Orlando, and Istanbul on July 1st, Bangladesh, and July 3rd, Baghdad. This list excludes 18 other incidents, either executed or inspired by ISIL, in Egypt, Turkey, Yemen, Iraq, Kazakhstan, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, Lebanon, Tunisia, and Syria. When we spoke about the Paris attack, I lamented the social media response. The French flag Facebook filters and hashtag Je suis Paris felt like the definition of privilege and opportunism to me. I was wrong. I don't pretend to have any answers to the growing conflict with ISIL. I do know that we need more collective outrage and grief, not less. Especially as ISIL-inspired attacks occur, attacks carried out by people feeling disenfranchised and marginalized, we need to embrace our humanness. We have the most powerful military in the world. We have sophisticated weapons that can kill from the air, and we're using those resources. We learned this week that between 2009 and 2015, the U.S. conducted 473 drone strikes, killing over 2,500 suspected terrorists and between 64 and 116 civilians. Think of that. Yet here we are. I'm not sure ISIL can be defeated militarily, If we could have bombed an ideology into oblivion, we would have. Donald Trump has talked about how we need to match the force of our opponent. I agree with him in this respect. ISIL's real power is not in any tool or technique. It is in giving people something to believe in and belong to. We need to fight this ideology with a countervailing, sincere, powerful belief in our shared humanity. That's not to say we should abandon the actual battle. Our intelligence and military resources should be wisely deployed. We should also demonstrate that we value the lives in Turkey and Bangladesh as much as the lives in Orlando and San Bernardino. When an American citizen asks a presidential candidate why we would allow a woman wearing a hijab to work at TSA, we should answer because she's an American and because we are all working together to keep each other safe. And recognizing how war-weary we are as a country, we should resist isolationism and nationalism. We should recognize that perhaps our hashtags and filters do send a message, that we can see past religious and ethnic differences, that there is a place in the West for people of all backgrounds, that even small indicators of belonging can matter. America first might work if this were the early 19th century and we were fighting with cannons on hills. In this new struggle all over the world to eat, dance, shop, and see movies safely, humanity first is the better policy. For the suit today, I'm excited to share with you our interview with Erin Miller. Erin is a Pantsuit Politics listener. She reached out to us about the passage of House Bill 4336 and her journey to see that bill's passage on behalf of her grandmother.
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com pantsuit.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. An extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing, I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit.
3: So Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Do you mind to just start at the very beginning? Tell us a little bit about your family, how you got interested in this issue, and then just take us through the process of where you started and where you've ended up.
4: My grandmother was Elaine Danforth Harmon, and during World War II, she served in the Women Air Force Service Pilots, also called WASP. And basically, they were hired and recruited by the military to take over domestic flying duties so that there would be more men available to fly in combat overseas because the United States was heavily dependent on air power during World War II and we didn't have enough pilots to sustain the campaign. So what they did was these two women named Jackie Cochran and Nancy Love had started two programs to recruit more female pilots, which eventually became... Um, into one and called the WASP and then they started interviewing some people were interviewed some weren't and they were to put out applications and requests for women to apply you already had to have a pilot's license which my grandmother did she she got that in college uh, through another program called the civilian pilot training program and she went and applied over 25,000 women applied and they accepted roughly 1,800 and 1,074 graduated, and there were a few from the previous programs that were included, so there were 1,102 of them. And they flew test, as test pilots. They tested planes that had been repaired or new planes that were coming off of the assembly line, or, you know, like when you, when you have a car, you have to drive it at a certain amount of time at a certain speed before you can really fully use it. So some of them just flew planes around, getting enough hours on the engines, Uh, They also towed targets for ground gunnery practice, so men would shoot at targets that the women were towing behind the planes. They would train men. My grandmother flew planes with men inside who were practicing instrument training. She said her job was to make sure they didn't crash the plane into Mount Charleston (laughs) because she she was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas after her training. Anyway, uh, after the war was over, they pretty much they never became part of the military as they were promised. There was a bill in the house in 1944 and it failed by 19 votes because there was a lobby by a lot of male pilots and other groups that were saying that if they made them part of the military, you know, it, all these ridiculous reasons. Anyway, so they never became part of the military. They all went home. People like my grandmother, she had four kids, raised a family, did other things. And then 30 years later, the U.S. Military Academy started us accepting women and saying, oh, we're going to have, you know, the first women pilots in the military. And my grandmother and her friends said, we did that 30-something years ago. What are you talking about? But they had never been officially recognized. So they all went to Capitol Well, they gathered a group, which took a while. And they eventually went to Capitol Hill and started lobbying for recognition as veterans. And that took almost like eight or nine years, and eventually they, uh, Senator Barry Goldwater, introduced legislation. The the final, several bills were introduced, but his was finally the one that got attention, and then their situation got attached to the GI Bill as uh, part of the GI Bill that was getting reauthorized that year, so they became veterans. Unfortunately, it was only under the Department of the Veterans Administration, I'm not sure what happened with that, why it was written that way or whatever, but that's how it was written. So they got veteran status and then fast forward to 2015, my grandmother passed away in April of 2015 and our family applied to have her place at Arlington, which is what she wanted and we got a phone call from Arlington saying that she had been denied because the law from 1977 only included rights under the department of, under the VA that we call the VA now. So since Arlington is run by the Department of the Army, her active duty service didn't apply under that agency. So um, we went through our Senator Mikulski of Maryland to get more information. She contacted Arlington. um, But we basically just got a letter explaining the same thing that we had been told on the phone, that under the law they were not eligible. So we... Kind of didn't know exactly what to do. My mom wanted to write some letters, and I was like, we need to get more attention. We need to get people to know about this problem.
3: Erin knew that she needed more than just letters, so she launched a full-on public relations campaign, contacting media outlets and starting a petition on change.org. Through that process, she met Representative Martha McSally, who happened to have 26 years of experience in the Air Force prior to serving in Congress, to be one of the first women to fly in combat and to personally know several WASPs.
4: Once she came on board, I started doing um, more lobbying on Capitol Hill, more media. I did dozens of interviews, um, we talked to newspapers. And she did a lot of work too. She did she did um, a special order session in Congress. So she talked for almost an hour with some other colleagues of the House of Representatives about the WASP and why this was important. And they were talking about my grandma on the floor of the House of Representatives, which was completely surreal and awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> I never thought that would happen when we started all of this. And then, um, she did a press conference where I was able to speak as well, and some of the other representatives like Susan Davis and Senator Ernst and Senator Klobuchar, who were all you know either leads on the bill or helping us out, just very interested in the topic, came and spoke as well and she did media interviews too like we did they did so much stuff for us it was totally amazing
3: was representative mcsally kind of driving that once once she got interested did she get sort of the it looked like a bipartisan group of female legislators did she kind of rally all of them or were you reaching out to all of these different people um, trying to move things forward
4: well once she introduced the legislation i we my one sister and my mom and I went to her office the day she was working on the legislation to meet her. So we were talking to her and she was like, yeah, I've already talked to a bunch of people about this. So she was very um, proactive about this. And the day that she, she said she walked around with the bill the first day and like 79 people signed on into it to the first day. So it was wow, it was yeah. great and it was very bipartisan and Susan Davis is a Democrat and Representative McSally's in the Republican Party and then on our Senate side I had contacted obviously we'd already talked to Senator Mikulski's office and I had talked to her again the day before McSally introduced her bill and so she worked with Senator Ernst to introduce a Senate version of the bill and they are. Senator Ernst is a Republican, and Senator Mikulski is a Democrat, so that's more bipartisanship. Couldn't so be more different than those two, really. <laughs> yeah. Very bipartisan from both um, the Senate and the House of Representatives, so that was great. And so obviously, Representative McSally worked on the Hill with all you know her colleagues and doing media stuff, and then I did a lot of media stuff from the outside, and then I also went to probably 150 offices in on Capitol Hill to talk to people who either hadn't co-sponsored yet or had co-sponsors. And I just, I just wanted to say thank you and thank them for their support. And, you know, obviously that by them co-sponsoring, they would help get more people. So that was very helpful. And then, um, yeah, the bill was passed through the house on March 22nd, which was excellent unanimous vote. And, Went over to the Senate, and eventually the Senate passed it, and President Obama signed it on May 20th, 2016.
3: Well, Erin, that is phenomenal. What is your background? (laughs) Did you have any experience in lobbying or public relations or any of the things that you just kick-started to make this happen?
4: Not really. I am a lawyer. I'm a licensed attorney in Maryland, but specifically like lobbying or any of PR or anything like that, no, not really. What what kind of
3: law do you practice?
4: I don't practice law, but I work for the federal government.
3: So you know enough about the governmental structure to navigate some of this. Yes. I'm just thinking about, you know, if I if I'm sitting at home and I have an issue like this, can I just start and make it happen? And it sounds like you really did.
4: You can. I mean, I didn't. It's not like I didn't know something. I'm a lawyer, so that's what you do. You study the law. But I grew up in the D.C. area, so politics was kind of innate to me like if you grow up around here that's all you talk about when you grow up your family constantly talks about politics like you you're very aware of the political situation but I have to say I hadn't been paying an, as much attention to it lately as before but now I'm very interested in it and find all this very inspiring that in our divisive situation we have in Congress that this group of people managed to pass this bill unanimously I mean, I know it's something people kept saying, oh, it's not controversial. It's not blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but they still work together and got something done. And it's just great. It is
3: great. And it comes at such an interesting time, given all the things that are happening in the military to open up service positions. And it seems like you had a good moment for this. So when you think about what you want to do next, does anything come to mind Like, do you have other political causes that this has inspired you to work toward?
4: I'll just say that I'm more interested in politics now than I was before. I work for the government, so I can't really say much more than that. And I do. I follow other bills that have been going on, other petitions on change.org. Not all of them have to do with, you know, lobbying the government or creating change at the political, at a federal level, but there are a couple bills that do have petitions that I find interesting that i have been following their progress in Congress. And so I've, I've kind of just followed them and I've actually reached out to one of the people who's doing something similar to me. He goes to Congress, he lobbies, he talks to representative about the bill that he's trying to help get passed. And so I'm, you know, following his progress and I hope he's successful. It's uh, H.R. 4764, the Pause Act, which would appropriate funds from the Veterans Affairs to allow to pay for service dogs for veterans with PTSD. And they're doing pretty well. I think they have 95 co-sponsors and they're getting some good attention. So I hope that they're successful. But yeah, so it has been inspiring. Do you
2: want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Traditionally, the advice would be pick one. But thanks to Third Love, you can have both Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your bra plums solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code podcast15. That's code podcast15.
3: So I saw that you now that the the bill has passed and has been signed into law, you haven't crossed the finish line for your family yet, that there's a kind of application process for Arlington. Can you tell us about that?
4: So my mom called. So they signed the president signed the bill on Friday, May 20th. So she called Arlington Cemetery on Monday following that. And asked about our application that we had applied for last year and they they reopened our case and put us back in line basically and we have been assigned a funeral date in September and so now we're planning for the funeral which is great so it took a long time to get from April 2015 to September 2016 to fulfill my grandmother's last request but we're glad that it's going to happen.
3: And that, that's such a long time for you as a family and such a blink of an eye to get legislation passed. I mean, that, that's remarkable that you were able to do this. How prevalent were discussions about your grandmother's service growing up? Is this something that has always been in the forefront of your understanding of her or something that you came to understand more in the past year or so?
4: No, this is something that was always... You know, out there. When I was a kid growing up, we all used to see my grandmother in her uniform go off to schools to give talks. Um, she went to the White House on multiple occasions. She met, I think, four or five presidents. And this was totally normal to us that our grandmother was invited to the White House or had to go do various Air Force events or whatever um, and give talks. And To me, that was completely normal that my grandmother flew planes in World War II. And I would tell other kids that. And they would be like, what are you talking about? Like, women didn't do that. What do you mean? And I'd have to explain it to them. And I don't know. Sometimes they didn't believe me, I think. But, you know, that's how it was. It was normal to us. I totally knew what she did. And sometimes her friends that had been in the WASP would drop by the house and see her when they were visiting in town. And since my grandmother, since we live in the D.C. area, She was quite active just because of her location as well. So when they needed somebody, for example, to come to the White House for the Congressional Gold Medal Bill signing in 2009, the um, President Obama's staff called her to come be at the official signing at the White House because she lives nearby. So she kind of, because of her location, was also quite involved. Have you connected much with other
3: families of of women who served in this process?
4: My mom was um, kind of the one behind the scenes doing uh, contacting the WASP and their families, but I definitely have contacted some of their families. My mom just has done more of that. But I've definitely talked to families of at least five or six of these women throughout this process to keep them up to date on what was going on. And I also had a few that I had kind of in my book to call when I needed somebody to talk to the media because a lot of the media wanted to speak to these women as well as our family, you know, to get the whole story. So I had a few that I kept in contact with throughout this process to have, you know, so they could do interviews with, with whatever media people wanted to talk to them. So I've kept in touch with their families and um, some of them, yes, will be attending the funeral. So yes, we've, I've definitely gotten to know them better throughout this process.
3: That has to be just amazing to hear all of those stories and to uh, what an inspiring group of people.
4: Yeah, it's been really amazing. And over Memorial Day weekend, my sister Whitney and I got to go to the homecoming in Sweetwater, Texas, which is where they trained during the war. And over Memorial Day weekend each year, they have a homecoming for the wasp and they invite the wasp to come down. To the training field. There's a museum there, and they have a luncheon and a dinner, and they invited me to say a few things. So I spoke, and I got to meet. There were 12 wasps there, so I got to talk to most of them. We were really busy, and it was really nice to see them and um, just be able to know that we did all this work, not just for my grandmother, but for all the wasp. And even though they don't want to be at Arlington, a lot of them, they, they felt like what we did was to honor their, their service and to ensure that they're viewed equally uh, with the men that they served with at Arlington. It's the principle of the thing, as they kept telling me.
3: If you were advising our listeners who have an issue that they feel passionately about and want to work for it and, and some personal connection to. Is there anything that you would do differently or a place that you would have started to change this process? Or, or do you think that the change.org petition and the social media campaign and, and all of the contacts that you made are, are sort of the process others should emulate?
4: Well, I think what we did is something people can emulate. But the one thing I keep thinking about is if I had done more research like obviously people are going to look to their personal congressperson or state senators first which is what we did but if I had been smarter I could have looked into congress and see and researched all these people in congress and figured out oh look here's a representative from Arizona who flew planes and actually knew these women maybe she would be interested in doing this and I could have called her like last August instead of doing all of this and having her find me but in retrospect, since we had so much attention already, it kind of helped, you know, when she came and found us that it kind of helped to have already some media attention to the problem. So in the end, it worked out fine. But I feel like for no matter what your issue is, there's probably a congressperson who has dealt with that issue because everybody has different backgrounds. You know, there's people who have been victims of gunshot violence. There's people who have been pilots. There's a lot of veterans. There's all these people with different backgrounds. And I feel like if you've research Congress, you probably find a couple people that actually have worked on similar issues or have experienced similar problems or know about your issue personally that might be willing to help you.
3: That's such a great point, especially because I think it's easy to think of Congress as just, you know, McConnell, Pelosi, Reid and Ryan, instead of right. remembering <laughs> how many people there are and how many people you may have never read an article about who could be right. extremely instrumental. Exactly. Well, Erin, I'm so sorry that you lost your grandmother. I am. Uh, it seems clear that her sort of fortitude and tenacity and boldness uh, carried through several generations. So congratulations on making this happen for her and uh, getting the principle of the thing recognized. Congratulations to Erin Miller, an inspiration for honoring her grandmother and women everywhere and for inspiring bipartisan action. We hope there are many more errands in our audience. This episode is being published on Independence Day, which, as Irma Bombeck noted, is a distinctly American holiday celebrated in a distinctly American way. She said, you have to love a nation that celebrates its independence every July 4th, not with a parade of guns, tanks, and soldiers who file by the White House in a show of strength and muscle but with family picnics where kids throw frisbees, the potato salad gets iffy, and the flies die from happiness. You may think you have overeaten, but it is patriotism. It's a scary time in our country and our world. At a time when we desperately need leadership, we are historically unimpressed with our Congress and presidential candidates. At a time when we desperately need to work collaboratively to solve problems, we seem bent on retreating to our echo chambers and demonizing our opponents. But there are reasons for optimism. Sarah and I believe that disagreement is the foundation of our nation. We believe that dialogue is the key to forward movement. And we believe that democracy requires participation from all of us, you and me, your neighbors, our parents, your children. America has faced difficult times before, and we persevere through sheer will. As Lyndon Johnson said, this then is the state of the union, free and restless, growing and full of hope. So it was in the beginning, so it always will be, while God is willing and we are strong enough to keep the faith. As I record this podcast, my neighbors are setting off fireworks, there are planes flying overhead, my children are sleeping peacefully, my husband walking my dog, and I am humbled by the knowledge that this life of mine is possible in the United States in a way that it would not be anywhere else on earth. Two women born to middle-class families in Kentucky were able to attend a private liberal arts college and go to law school and show up here at a microphone twice a week to criticize our government and debate big ideas and develop a community of people who care about those ideas and work to see more good in positions that differ from their own, to see more good in our system, and to create more good in our world. Franklin Roosevelt once said, In the truest sense, freedom cannot be bestowed. It must be achieved. In that spirit, keep working together, keep communicating, keep thinking, and keep it nuanced, y'all.